So, all right, so I'll just welcome everyone officially, and we're going to talk a little bit about Hanukkah today as well, because Hanukkah is coming up, but we also need to speak about clean speech because the clean speech program is well underway. We're two weeks into clean speech, and Debbie just brought up a very, very uh, important point, and Marty and Lou also said something very important. Marty and Lou first, when I asked them what they uh, what they think of the program and if it's making an impact. And they said, well, I know it's making such an impact, but I am being more thoughtful before I say anything. So that is that is exactly what the person who came up with the idea and what I would say is a very healthy approach to this is that the first step in speaking better is becoming more aware of the words that we use. And if you can think a little bit about the words you're going to use and a little bit about what you're going to say, then that's already a success. And if you keep on doing this, then you're going to build up positive speech patterns. Now, Debbie asked a question. There are times that you do need to speak negatively about someone. And we're actually going to talk about this is a, you know, this comes up in this week's Parsha as well. Uh, so the answer with everything is uh, it depends and you have to learn what the conditions are for speaking negatively about someone because as we learned in one of the earlier lessons, once you've said something, you can't take it back. And once you've said something negative about someone and it spreads, if if that, is, that information is incorrect and you need to correct yourself and say, you know, I was mistaken. I, I didn't know the full story. And uh, when I found out the true story, I realized that I was completely wrong. Most people are not going to hear that retraction. And even if they do, they might, they've still heard that first negative report. So it's, it's important to learn those rules. One of the first uh, criteria for saying anything negative about someone that is for a benefit is you need to make sure that the information is accurate. So you really need to check your information. Uh, and again, most people, but we're not talking about life and death situations over here. Most, most of us are not dealing with a situation where, you know, somebody's threatening somebody's life and you have to say something bad about that person. If somebody's threatening someone's life, you know, you pick up the phone and you call the 911, you know, or you get the person out of harm's way as soon as possible. In our lifetimes, you know, most of us, thank God, don't face life-threatening situations. So the safe bet, the safe bet is to withhold saying anything until you've fulfilled all the conditions and you've checked that the information is, is accurate. Um, Again, now having said that, once you do know those rules and uh, they, they do apply, then it becomes a mitzvah to say something negatively about someone, not just a choice of whether to say it or not. Um, you know what, let me just make a bracha over here because um, I'm going to be speaking for another few minutes and I want to say bracha first. Baruch atah 
and I might as, might as well make a plug for my friend. Uh, I have a friend whose whose daughter started a company called Petal, and they have these really interesting flavors. This one's lychee rose, and really oh, interesting. And they in they in supermarkets all over. I think Illinois and all around, I think they're going around the country. So I'm a big fan of lychees. That was like a delicacy in South Africa and it's a very nice drink. Okay. So again, it's a mitzvah. <clears throat> it's a mitzvah to protect somebody's life or to protect somebody's money. Let's, let's take away the, the issue of saving someone's life, but if you're going to save someone's money, right? Somebody is scamming people out of, uh, money and you know about it and you know somebody's about to engage in some business deal with someone uh, so then it's a mitzvah to, to tell that person you know that they shouldn't engage with this person because they're going to lose their money now if they're not exactly accurate they're not exactly sure that the information is accurate they can say something like you know I'm not entirely sure that the information is accurate I've heard it from someone else uh, but I just want to uh, tell you about it so that you can take precautions and find out yourself. I'm not saying it definitely is the case, but you should look into it. That that's probably you know safer than to say I know I know for certain. Um, but it's not, you know, in Jewish law. In Jewish law, absence of action is also punishable. The same way, if you walking down the road and you find something that belongs to someone else, it's a mitzvah to return that object to someone. You can't walk past it and ignore it. In American law, that's not the case. If you saw a wallet on the street corner and you walked straight past it, nobody is going to prosecute you for not picking it up and returning it to its rightful owners. Once you pick it up and you take it home, you know, then, you know, you can't hold on to it. You have to, you know, try to find who the rightful owners are. But in Jewish law, you walk past that wallet. Again, if it's in a Jewish town and, you know, uh, mostly Jews, then, then you have a mitzvah to return that object. Okay, so uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about Hanukkah. I want to talk about this week's uh, parasha, Torah portion. And in particular, I want to talk about one incident which is troubling, but it's going to teach us a great, great lesson. So I know Debbie's probably gone through the Torah portion already because she's, uh, or it's already Wednesday. She's probably, you know, finished the whole Torah portion. So this is actually, if, if Paula was on, if Paula was on, you know, Paula works for APEC. This is the APEC Parsha of the, of the, the Chumash. Marty, you can tell you can tell Paula when you speak to her that I said that. What do I mean by that? The parsha begins. Let me just check. Mona, are you there? You can hear you can hear yes, me. Yes, I am. I, I can hear you and I see you. Oh, excellent. Okay. So I know that you are counting the days until you see your great granddaughter, just as I, I am. Yes. Just as I am. We're now down to 34 days till our son's wedding, and I uh, am very, very excited. So welcome. You nice to be. nice just to have you on the class. Okay, so. Thank you. 
So this week's Torah portion starts with Yaakov coming to confront Esav. He's just returning. Well, he's not coming to confront him, but that's what happens. He's coming back after having spent 20 years with Lavan, where he got married to Leah first and then Rachel. He had uh, two other wives and 12 tribes were born. And Yaakov confronts Esav. And it's a classic confrontation because anything that happens in the Torah is a lesson for all of history. It's a, it's a confrontation between the Jews and our enemies, and in particular, the Western world. And so he uses three strategies. He first divides his camp and prepares for battle. He actually he first sends gifts. He first sends gifts ahead of himself uh, to appease Esau. He splits the camp, prepares for war, and he prays to Hashem and asks Hashem to protect him. Now, obviously, the most important one is the praying, because nothing is going to help unless Hashem is going to protect us. Uh, but diplomacy and sending gifts, that's what APEC does. APEC, you know, sends gifts to politicians on Capitol Hill to try to get them to support Israel. Now, we don't rely on that entirely. We also defend ourselves militarily, and we also pray to Hashem that he should protect us. Uh, uh, but we shouldn't ignore the diplomatic route as well. And so uh, when, when I speak to people who work for APAC, I tell them they're doing God's work. They're doing what, you know, what Yaakov did when he came to confront Asa. The only thing is they can't forget the other two parts as well. Okay, so they have that battle. Then there's the famous uh, uh, wrestling match between the angel of Esav and Yaakov, where he gets struck in the thigh, and we get the mitzvah of not eating the sciatic nerve. And that is the reason why you don't find a rump steak in a kosher restaurant, because it's very difficult to extract the sciatic nerve. Uh, if you do find it, then it's probably very expensive. So uh, then we have uh, the incident that I want to talk about when Dina gets abducted by someone named Shechem. Now, who's Dina? Does anybody know who Dina is? No. Jacob's daughter. Jacob's daughter. Um, so we don't hear about any other daughters being born. We just hear about the 12 sons being born. Uh, I'm assuming that there were other daughters that were born, but this is the only one that's mentioned. But Dina gets abducted by, by Shem and he actually violates her, he rapes her. And then wants to marry her. And he goes to Yaakov. Well, first he goes to his father. And his father goes to Yaakov and says, look, let's, let's make peace. Let's get uh, our daughters to marry your sons and uh, your daughters to marry our sons. And we all live, we'll all live happily together. 
And Shimon and Levi, two of the sons, are horrified by what happened to Dino. And they basically take revenge. And what they do is, what they do is they uh, trick the whole town or the whole tribe and say to him, we can't marry you unless you're circumcised. So if you get circumcised, then we'll, then we'll join together. So they get all, they all get circumcised. They're all in pain and they, they weak and they go in and they kill everyone, all the men. And they avenge the uh, abduction and rape of, of Dina. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. So the first question I want to ask is, is there any similarity? Is there any connection that you can see at first glance with the story to the story of Hanukkah, which is coming up? Any connection that you can that you can see? It's a little bit of a tricky question, but I, I just want to see if you if you're listening and if you can uh, if you think there's any connection whatsoever. All right, I'll give you a little bit of a clue. Who who were who were the ones that took revenge on? on Shechem and the entire tribe. Jacob's sons. Right. How many of them? There were two, right? Yes. Oh, oh sorry about that. Um, two sons, Shimon and Levi. And who did he take on? He took on the entire tribe. Two people taking on the entire tribe. Does that ring any bells with Hanukkah's story. So the Hanukkah story, if you remember, was Yehuda the Maccabee and his sons who took on the entire Greek army and they wiped them out. You remember that? So the fact that this week's Torah portion is coming close to Hanukkah draws us to think about what are the connections between this whole story of Dina and Shimon Levi taking revenge and the parallel with Hanukkah. Now, there's one other connection with Hanukkah as well that's going to tie this all together, and that, that is the following. And we're going to talk about this next week. We'll talk about it the week after that. We'll talk about during Hanukkah as well. Is what exactly are we celebrating at Hanukkah. So, what's the what's the what's the thought that first comes to your mind? Why? What what are we celebrating at Hanukkah time? The rededication okay. of the temple. Rededication of the temple. Anybody else? Marty, do you have any? What are we celebrating on Hanukkah? Presents. <laughs> presence right okay that's that um, was smart <laughs> mark how are you doing yeah i uh, that, that's that's going to be part of my response 
It's all the <laughs> gifts we get, right? Uh, the non-Jews get one one gift on, you know, one day of the the year, and we get eight gifts. So that's what we're celebrating. Okay, but why? What else? What are we celebrating? What do victory, we do on Hanukkah? The, the victory of the few over the many. The victory over the few over the, uh, the of the few over the many. Uh, but what do we do on what do we do on Hanukkah? Besides eating latkes and <laughs> and uh, donuts, we light the candles. Right, we light the menorah. Why do we light the menorah? Why do we light it for eight days? A great miracle happened. Eight days, and it never does. Wait, what did you say? We wanted it to last eight days, but it never does. Right, they, they found one jar of oil. They found one jar of oil and it lasted for eight days. So that's why that's why we celebrate every year by lighting the menorah. Now there's lots and lots of questions to ask about that. Oh, uh, I get it on mute. No wonder you couldn't hear me. I was on mute. Damn. Yeah, I know. Mario, you're normally not so quiet. I was I was, right. I know, I was getting I, worried. I, I originally said the God's miracle of the oil for eight days. Damn. Oh, fantastic. Sure you, okay. Sure you did. All right. I no, did. We, believe, we do. <laughs> Lou, we believe Lou, we believe him. We believe him. <laughs> I do. Um, I wouldn't lie about that. Absolutely. That's right. I'd lie about other stuff, but not that. Right. We, <laughs> we believe him. So so Marty, you're right. We um but they've, you know, we had other military victories. We've had other miracles that have happened in our history. What's so special about Hanukkah that we celebrate it every year? And uh, it's something that, that, that we really need to think about, especially in today's very materialistic uh, uh, secular world where uh, the Jewish people are struggling to survive uh, in many, many ways, not just from our physical enemies, but from our spiritual enemies as well. And essentially, essentially the battle of uh, Hanukkah time was an ideological battle. It wasn't a physical battle. There was a war, it's true, but that wasn't the essential battle. The essential battle was a spiritual battle. Uh, on Purim, on the other hand, Haman tried to wipe us out physically. He tried to wipe us out physically, and uh, and that's a different victory that, that we had. But Hanukkah is a spiritual victory. So what exactly were they trying to do? So one of, yeah, you're going to see a very striking parallel, and you probably didn't know this, but the Greeks had a different ideology than the Jews. They had a very different way of looking at the world than we did. One of the things was that they worshipped the human body. And uh, they felt that the human body was perfect. That's where the Olympic Games comes from. Right? They glorified the human body. Yeah, this just... Uh, and... Uh, and we, we rejected that. We said... We say... That there's more to there's more to a human being than just their physical body. They've got a, a soul that God gave them that was put into our body, and we have to elevate the physical world. We're not perfect. So one of the things they did was they banned circumcision on pain of death. 
Now, that's something you've heard even in modern times. I was just speaking to someone last week who was uh, his, her father was very involved in bringing over Russian Jews to America. This was in Cleveland. And he, uh, he gave Brissom circumcision to hundreds and hundreds of Russian Jews who did not have circumcisions. Why didn't they have circumcision? Because the Russians banned it. You, you were, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was banned on pain of death, but it must have been pretty severe because many, many people did not get them, and they had to get them when they were adults, which is much more painful when they uh, when they came to this country. But there were other things that they banned as well. Um, they banned Shabbos. They banned the declaration of the new moon. And there was one other thing they, they did as well. They made a decree. They made a decree that uh, any Jewish woman that got married before she slept with her husband had to sleep with the governor of the town or the governor of, you know, the Palestine at the time, would, you know, uh, whoever was in charge. Now, that's a, uh, a very, very uh, immoral, evil thing to do in any country, with any army, any ruling power to do something like that. You, you, re you recoil when you even think about you know, something like that, you would, you know, and we're talking here about, you know, about the Jewish people, but the, the Greeks had a reason for this. It wasn't just purely a physical thing. Uh, they were trying to minimize and decrease the Kedusha, the holiness of the Jewish people. That's why they banned circumcision. That's why they banned Shabbos. They banned the learning of Torah. They, they wanted to make us like every other nation in the world. They did not want us to be separate from the rest of the world. And, and so one of the ways they wanted to do that was break down that special connection that we have to God, that we have by being careful and being more pure. Now, does that start to remind you of the story of Dina and the story of what uh, Shem and his father wanted to do? They wanted to intermarry with us. They wanted, they wanted to do exactly the same thing. They didn't want to kill us. There were other nations that tried to destroy us. Amalek tried to destroy us. The Egyptians tried to destroy us, but... Um, Shem said, we want to live in peace with you. We want to, we want to marry you. We want to marry your daughters and we, we want your, your, you know, your daughters to marry our sons. But that's not what they really wanted. What they really wanted was they wanted to, to eliminate our special holiness. And that's why, by the way, that's why, by the way, the, uh, the word used for, for the act of marriage is called Kiddushin. You know, when we say Kiddush on a Friday night, what does that word mean? Do you know what that word means? What does Kiddush mean? Oh, Sanctification. Sanct okay, but what does that mean? Does, what does it mean to make something holy? 
you, well, when, when, if I said, if I said to you, this glass is holy, what do I mean by that? Or if I say that this book is holy, or I say that Shabbat is holy, what do I mean by that? Uh, well, I, I've, I've heard that what it means is that it's, it's something that's set apart. So maybe it's a glass you only use for a Excellent. particular purpose. And then while being set apart, it kind of has special, I don't know, other aspects that make it Excellent. more, uh, yeah, in some way different. Okay. Excellent. So, uh, Marty, you heard, and Lou and Marty, you heard what, what Debbie said. It's, it's setting something apart and giving it a special status. So what it's doing is the way you can think about it is it's not just setting, it's not just dividing something in two. It's not just dividing the nuts and the raisins or, you know, the vanilla ice cream from the chocolate ice cream. It's what it's doing is it's separating, separating something and elevating it. It's taking something and raising it up. That's why when you take a Kiddush cup, you lift up your hand, you hold up the cup. What are you doing? You are taking Shabbat. You're separating it from the rest of the week, but you're not just separating it. You're elevating it. That's why we treat it differently. Otherwise, you could just say it's like a regular day, but, you know, we just rest on Shabbos. Or we, you know, there's certain things that we do, but we elevate, we elevate it. And that's what marriage is. Marriage is separating two people from everybody else and elevating their lives so that they become holy, they become special, and they and they they live together that way. And they, everything that they do, the way they eat, the way they talk, everything they do, they live uh, as a uh, when we talk about living a holy life. You still eat, you still drink, you still go to the bathroom, you still shop, you still go to work, you know, you still travel, you still play with your kids, that you do all the kinds of things that you do, but you elevate everything that you do. And that's what the Greeks were trying to do. That's what Shem was trying to do. And so what does that have to do with us? What does it have to do with you and me today in 2021? Uh, what's the lesson of Hanukkah, what's the lesson of, of this week's Torah portion? Anyone want to, if you were to, let's say I was going to stop right now and I was going to say, okay, I want you to tell me, you know, what, how can you apply that in your life today? How, how would, how would you see it applying in your everyday life starting, you know, now? Anyone? I don't know. Oh, Mona, did you, Mona, did you want to say something? No, no. My dear husband was telling me I should say something, but I honestly don't know. Okay, so we're going to try to tease something out of everyone. Anybody want to say something? Debbie, you want to, what would you say? Go ahead. Uh, well, one thing with... with Hanukkah story is that they very vigorously fought against this yes. de-holyification, you know, this de-sanctification of everything and yes. really tried to resist it. Um, and then in the story with Dina, uh, her brothers very vigorously defend her honor by kind of tricking all of Shechem's clan into thinking that, yes. you know, oh, if we, if we circumcise ourselves, then we get to keep Dina. They circumcised the whole town. 
And then when they were on day three of not feeling so great after the circumcision, then boom. Um, right. So maybe we should try to be equally vigorous. I mean, a lot less violent, but equally vigorous in trying to preserve the aspects of our lives that can be made holy, our, our marriages, our speech, all, all yes. these kind of things. Excellent. Uh, okay, so that is definitely something to think about. We can think about what we do every day and think about how are we being drawn by the culture that we are in away from this idea of sanctifying, of, of making things different. Uh, and that can be watching Monday night football. It could be uh, shopping in the store for uh, a, a new TV set or uh, spending money lavishly on 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 something and spending more time on a on the more physical side of the uh of our our lives so that's something we can think about every single day it's hanukkah hanukkah is not just to be uh celebrated once a year we celebrate it once a year but the lesson of hanukkah we should be thinking about throughout the year but here's the one here's the one message that uh you can you can tell me if this rings true for you. You know, God could have made it that uh, the entire Jewish people went out and fought against Shem and they and they could have won miraculously. Uh, and it could have been the same thing in in the battle against the Greeks as well. But instead, it was a very small group of people. It was a small group of people, it was Shimon and Levi, and it was Matisio. Uh, Yehuda Maccabee that fought against the Greeks. So the message is to, to tell us, number one, that when you do believe very passionately about something, then even if you are very small and outnumbered, you can still succeed. Uh, and the second thing is we can only succeed. Why, why is it that we can succeed? The only reason we do succeed is because God helps us succeed. So we have to start. We have to make that, that first effort. We have to make that first uh, attempt at, at uh, protecting the honor and the holiness of the Jewish people. When we do that, God protects us. He's not going to do it. Now, everyone says God, you know, God helps those who help themselves. We can't just sit back and expect God to fight our battles. We have to fight the battles, but God will help us when we fight them. And that also is something we can we can learn in our daily lives. Is is the 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 things that we want to battle against, we have to take that first step. When we do that first step, when we are what's called moiser nefesh. Mysterious nefesh means self-sacrifice. You, you, you sacrifice yourself and then God will then God will help you. And that's the story of Dina, and that's the story of Hanukkah. Now there's something very fascinating. Uh, did I tell you the name of the, the, the name of the uh, the young woman that's marrying my son? Her name is Hannah. Or in English, you call it Hannah. Um, that's another thing, by the way. You know, we've all got 
Hebrew names, but we call ourselves by our English names. I happen to call myself Zeb, but I, I uh, lived, you know, the first 28 years of my life calling myself Warren. That's my English name. Uh, that's a Greek thing. That's a Greek thing. We read in this, you know, last week's Torah portion, Yaakov gave all his children their names or they, they got their names. Uh, and I know all of you have got Hebrew names, but one of the things that people do when they start getting a little bit more involved in, unless they, unless their only given name is a Hebrew name, when, when people like myself start getting more involved in their Jewish uh, lives and their practices, then they, many of them change their names, change their, change their names to the Hebrew names. That's a very Jewish thing to do. What does that do? That keeps us, that keeps us separate, keeps us separate from, from other people. You don't find people named Yaakov or Zev or Lou. What's your Hebrew name? Wait, you are on mute. Arya Leib. Arya Leib, right. Now, how many non-Jews do you know who have the name Arya Leib? Including, no, I don't know any. No, one right. And Marty, I know your name is Mordechai. Yeah. Do you know any non-Jews named Mordechai? Mm, probably about eight or not. No, I don't no, know any. That's <laughs> right. Not a single one. Um, uh, Mona, what's your Hebrew name? Esther. Esther. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and beautiful name. And uh, Debbie, what's your? Do you have a Hebrew name, Debbie? I think it's just Deborah. 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 Yeah. Okay, or Devorah. Yeah. But even Devorah. So there are lots of people named Deborah or Debbie, but no <laughs> one's named Devorah, the Hebrew name. Yeah. So yeah, sure. I think maybe, maybe starting next week, I'm going to start calling you by your Hebrew names: Arya Leib and Mordechai and Esther and Devorah. What do you think? That's we'll call fine with me. Fine with me. That's not what I call her. <laughs> <laughs> so it, if nothing else, you should think about it. You just think to yourself, you know, why is it that we very proud Jews, we, we give ourselves names that are not Jewish names. We give ourselves Jewish names, but for some reason we want, what, what is, what do you think? Why is it that we don't just go by Hebrew names? What do we need an English name for? Well, we want to do a, you know, when our parents came over, we wanted to assimilate into the culture. There you go. Marty, you just said it. Is that, does everybody agree that's what we wanted to do? Your parents yeah. gave you an English name so we could assimilate into the culture? Absolutely. Right. Now, we're not, again, we're not speaking lush and horror about our parents or anything like that. You know, our parents were well-meaning. Maybe they felt that we didn't want to be want to stand out because we didn't want to be singled out right. and, and exactly. face anti-Semitic face anti attacks. That would because be that's a, what they went. That's what they went through. That's what they went through. You know, um, and they're going to protect their children. That's right, and that's a very noble thing to do. But I, I, all I'm saying is that Hanukkah time is the time to start thinking about these kinds of things, and. You know, it's, we shouldn't get too, like sometimes you get a little bit nervous when when you'll meet someone else and you'll say, well, what's your name? And the person will say, Ariel Leib. Or, or they'll say, uh, you know, 
Eliezer Yecheskel, you know, and you'll say, you know what, couldn't your parents just have given you a name that like fits in with everybody else, like, <laughs> like David or Mark or, you know, someone like that. And then we wouldn't have to, you know, be draw so much attention to ourselves. So all I'm not, I, I'm just, I'm just asking you to think about it and think about what you do in your life. You know, like for example, for example, how ex how excited are you about Hanukkah coming up, and how excited are you about Thanksgiving coming up? What are you more excited about coming up? What would you say? That's a damn good question. Yeah, I'm more I'm more excited about Hanukkah coming up because Mark and I are going to Cleveland. And then to Lakewood to be with all our family. Thanksgiving, Wonderful. we're just the two of us here. We're probably going to have a cheese sandwich or something. Just don't have the cheese sandwich with any turkey. That's all. No, 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 no. 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 We don't <laughs> okay. do that. No, we don't do that. That's right. No, I absolutely know. So, okay. So Mona and Mark have got a, uh, but, so but Mona, I'm going to just turn that question around for you. You are implying, you are implying that let's just say you were spending Hanukkah by yourselves. It was just the two of you for Hanukkah, but you were having a massive Thanksgiving dinner with all your family and all your grandchildren. Would you be looking forward to Hanukkah more or Thanksgiving more? Now you don't have to answer that question. I uh, again, some good things. Like, it's a hard answer. That's a hard question. Of course, we'd be looking forward to Thanksgiving. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, in Talmudic logic, Mona, I'm going to ask you the following question. Okay, and Marty okay. and Lou and, and Debbie, you can answer as well. You know, whenever, you, whenever you're trying to ask a question like this, you want to make it like a laboratory test. So you want to isolate all the factors. You want to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples. So let's say you're having your entire family for Thanksgiving and your entire family for Hanukkah. And let's just say Thanksgiving was eight days and Hanukkah was eight days, or you were spending one day with your family in Hanukkah and one day with your family for Thanksgiving. Then what would you be looking forward to most? Would you be looking forward to Thanksgiving or would you look, be looking forward to, to Hanukkah? For sure, uh, Hanukkah. For okay. Sure. Right, Mona for sure. Debbie, what about you? Marty and Lou, I would, Debbie, what would you say? Yeah, I would. Then I would look more forward to to Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah, and based more. on those circumstances, I would. Uh, yeah, I would say Hanukkah too. Yeah. And Lou, what do you say? Well, I'm not going to go against everyone else. So I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay. So now, let me ask you this question: If you were to take a survey of a hundred Jews in your town. And you would say to them this question, isolating all the factors, everything being equal. What are you looking forward to? Thanksgiving or Hanukkah? What, do you, what answer do you think you're going to get? I think Amer most American secular Jews would say Thanksgiving. Does anybody agree with Mona or disagree with her? I, I would disagree based on the situation that you've created. You would say most said, people, you would, Marty, you would say most people look forward to Hanukkah. If everything was 
Totally equal apples to apples, yes. All right. Okay. If, so if got not, Mona. I would agree with Mona. If not, I would agree. In fact, okay. if you ask me the question now, I would say Thanksgiving over Hanukkah based on what's happening right now. And, you know, Mark said a very, uh, he said it like in a humorous way that, you know, people look forward to the gifts they get on Hanukkah. There's no gifts at Thanksgiving necessarily. So maybe little kids look forward to Hanukkah because they know they're getting, they know they're getting gifts. But again, it's a, it, the question, again, the question is very hard to answer because you can't take away those factors. It's hard to get someone to really give an honest answer, you know, uh, but you can ask the same question like this. Are you looking forward to, you know, Shabbos this week as much as you're looking forward to, you know, football on Sunday afternoons, if you're a football fan, you know, or, um, you know, when a new movie comes out, are you, you know, as excited about, you know, Purim coming up as you are about the new Star Wars movie that's coming out? <laughs> you know, so all these are questions that you should ask yourself when it comes to Hanukkah time and we start thinking to ourselves, how, how are we keeping ourselves separate? Okay. Just before it's 10 to four. What I want to do is before we stop, this has been a great discussion. What I want to do is I want to play today's video uh, for you. So you can, you can see it. And I want to, I want to ask you if you have any, any, uh, thoughts about today's discussion or any questions you have for me? Rabbi, I have a question that goes back to Rosh Hashanah. Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> I've been wanting to ask this, but we haven't had an opportunity to, to, to ask questions. So as I'm reading the Torah portion in Rosh Hashanah, we're talking about the creation of the world. There were, there were, if I read that correctly, and if I remember, because it's now been a little while since I read this, there were 10 creatures or things that were in existence before the creation of the world. But there's a mission in Pirka Avos that says there were 10 things created before Rosh Hashanah, before the world was created. Right. That confuses me as, you know, when I think of the world being created, I think it's starting from nothing. Right. And yet... There were things in existence before the world was created. I, I don't know how to wrap your head around that. That's it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that might uh, be a, that might not be a conversation you want to have right now. With no, I tell you, it's a great question. I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna answer the question fully for you uh, because it really requires a full you know class and to go through that whole Mishnah in in Prika Avos. But clearly. There's something more to it than like what does that mean exactly? Yes, that uh, you know, uh, Teshuvah was created before the world existed, or um, uh, which is the period of time between uh, Friday evening, Friday afternoon, and Friday evening was created just before before creation. It's a bigger discussion. Uh, so what I'm gonna what I'm gonna tell you is like is like this, is that very often uh, the Mishnah and Pirkei will will use an, uh, a statement like that to teach a certain lesson uh, to explain the importance of something or to explain 
what creation really was all about. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't think we should necessarily take it literally uh, that these things were set aside and, you know, because we don't understand what creation means altogether. What is it, what, what, what happened in the creation story? But I, I think it's very important to, to look into that and see what the commentaries say. And maybe next week I'll take a look and maybe you'll take a look and find some commentaries. It's a great question. I want to, but I want to connect it to Hanukkah in two ways. The one is that Hanukkah, and we'll talk about this another time, is also a, a festival to celebrate the learning of Torah. And that was one thing that the Greeks also tried to do was to try to prevent us from learning Torah. And the menorah in the, in the temple that they, read, they found the oil for represented Torah learning because Torah is the light that that's the word Torah comes from the word light. Uh, it enlightens the world and enlightens us. So whenever you ask a question like this, you are, this is learning Torah. What we are doing now is we bringing, that's why Hanukkah is called the festival of light because we, we are lighting up a very dark world, a world that is, has been darkened by the Greeks and the Greek culture. So by asking this question, you're bringing more light into the world. The second, the second um, connection between Hanukkah and, and your question is that the rabbis say that even though Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment and Yom Kippur is when the judgment is sealed and, and Hoshana Rabbah is when the, 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 the verdict is, is sent, uh, there is an idea that the final, final, final judgment takes place on Hanukkah. So this is our very, very last opportunity to do Teshuvah and to correct ourselves. What I would say, what I take away from that when I hear something like that is just to think back to Hanukkah. You know, Lou, you were thinking back to Hanukkah. But we should think back to Hanukkah. What were the quote-unquote New Year's resolutions that we made Hanukkah, uh, Rosh Hashanah time? And where are we holding in terms of the resolutions we made? We said we were going to, you know, do this. We were going to do that. We were going to uh, improve our ways. And now we look four months later and we think to ourselves, well, you know, we really didn't do as well as we, as we said we were going to do. But the, there's, there's still hope because we've still got eight months. You don't want to wait until next Rosh Hashanah and think back. So Hanukkah, when you look at the menorah and you're eating your donuts and your latkes, Mark, does uh, does Mona make um, the best latkes in town? No. Oh gosh. <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, not that's fair. I make very good latkes. You know, Mona, I I am sure you do, Mark. That was like a rhetorical question. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like have you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, so, uh, while you're eating your latkes and staring at the menorah, you can think to yourself about some of those resolutions you made. But one of them, I know, that's one of the reasons why we're doing clean speech, and we're going to end off with this. I'm going to play the video of the art of disbelief. I'm going to share my screen with you, and we're going to end off by watching the video. And please, you should all sign up for clean speech if you haven't already and you should tell your friends about it because that's a great thing about wisdom 
it does not detract from you in any way when you share your light with other people. All right, so let's share the screen and I'm going to then wish uh, all of you a good Shabbos and a, a happy Hanukkah coming up. Uh, you know, we'll talk about, maybe we'll talk about Thanksgiving and the Jewish view of Thanksgiving close up. Okay, so hold on one second. Let's, um, let's share the screen and I'm going to play the video. Which do you think is worse, being skeptical and untrusting or being gullible and naive? Let's say Jack speaks Lush and Hara about Jill. Should you believe Jack and suspect Jill or should you disbelieve Jack and assume the best about Jill? A common source of Lush and Hara is hearing it from a friend or relative, someone you would generally trust. Perhaps you might think that their words should carry more weight and be considered more legitimate. A sophisticated person can develop the ability to hear something and reserve judgment about whether it's true. This is a critical skill if we hear Lashon Hara. It will allow us to remember what we heard for future benefit and simultaneously maintain respect for the person being spoken about. Edgar Allan Poe, a 19th century writer said, believe nothing you hear and only one half that you see. Perhaps this is why God gave us imagination so you can imagine something other than what you hear. Did Jack really know that the Lushan Hara he spoke about Jill was true? Maybe Jack thought he knew what he saw, but he was mistaken. Maybe Jack really did see Jill do it, but later Jill went and fixed what she did without him finding out. Maybe Jack was only repeating what he heard someone else say about Jill without any first-hand knowledge at all. And even if after all of your attempts at judging Jill favorably, you can't help but think that what you, would, you heard is true, you still can't repeat that Lashon Hara about Jill to anyone else or cause her any harm because of it. Here's today's exercise. Look for the positive side of a story and use your imagination to come up with your creative explanation for how the entire situation was misunderstood. Wow, I thought that was excellent. Wow, he's really a uh, he's really a uh, a great speaker. That was uh, that was very well done. Okay, so everybody, I'm going to say uh, thank you very much. Stop the recording and wish you all a very very good Shabbos. Thanks for coming again. And um, uh, any last any last uh, comments before I uh, before I say goodbye?